This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 10th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is a very special edition of Franchise Today featuring Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief at Entrepreneur Media, as we count down to the release of Entrepreneur's 45th Annual Franchise 500, coming up on January 16th. Before we get to all that, my thanks again to Jonathan J.T. Thiessen, Chief Development Officer at Home Franchise Concepts, for kicking off Season 15 with us last week. Judging by the volume of downloads, I guess there is universal agreement. JT is someone with something to say, and that this audience had an appetite for what he was serving up. Well, no exceptions to that this week either. But before I introduce you to Jason Pfeiffer, a quick reminder to please visit us at www.franchisetodaypodcast.com and leave a review letting others know how much you enjoy listening to Franchise Today. While there, you can also browse the library containing hundreds of interviews spanning some 14 years of weekly episodes. A visit to to our sponsors page will link you to FRM Solutions, our title sponsor, as well as our participating sponsors, Atmosphere TV, Zoracle Spot-On Assessments, and Zor Forum. It'll only take a minute, but it will be so greatly appreciated. Okay, a quick timeout, and I'll return with a fascinating conversation with Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief at Entrepreneur, his story, a bit of little-known entrepreneur history, and a discussion about the upcoming release of Entrepreneur's 45th annual Franchise 500, dropping on January 16th. Don't go away. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Franchisors of restaurants, bars, and grills, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. If you're looking to engage guests, elevate profits, and enhance your customer experience, Atmosphere TV is the answer. What's Atmosphere, you ask? Atmosphere is the world's number one streaming TV service for businesses, here to help you make more and save big on overpriced cable packages. Atmosphere provides you with a free programming option, bringing more than 60 ultra-engaging audio-optional channels designed to please customers and increase their average ticket. So, how does it work? Well, it's easy. Upon sign-on, Atmosphere sends you a free device, loaded with over 60 channels of eye-grabbing entertainment. From news and sports to viral videos and fuzzy animals, every channel is family-friendly and designed to keep your customers happy and engaged. Plus, thanks to Atmosphere's 100% audio-optional format, the programming is perfect for any setting, no matter how loud or busy. So, stop playing and paying overpriced cable. Go with free TV instead. Just go to atmosphere.tv forward slash sign up and use the code FRANCHISE, and Atmosphere will waive the usual one-time $99 activation fee for your free-to-stream device. Visit Atmosphere online at atmosphere.tv, and remember, use the code FRANCHISE to waive your one-time activation fee. Visit atmosphere.tv to elevate your franchise's entertainment experience today. Well, he's never been a franchisor or a franchisee 
But like oh so many of us, his has been a career that has taken him neck deep into our world for the past seven or eight years, and his story is compelling nonetheless. A momentous transition to what Jason believes is the key to the way entrepreneurs process information was a game changer for him personally as well. Listen, Jason Pfeiffer, welcome to Franchise Today. Well, thanks for having me. It's really exciting getting the opportunity to talk with you today, Jason, as Entrepreneur Magazine has meant so much to me in my career in franchising, especially in my early days as a franchisor. And back then, it was only a magazine. Today, it's an entire media enterprise, making it all the more powerful for small business people and those in franchising who gain so much education as well as inspiration from it, especially once a year about this time of year, when we all anticipate and look forward to the next edition of the franchise. 500. So it's going to be exciting for me today to have the opportunity to learn more about you and your career and how franchising found you by virtue of your career in journalism. Yeah, well, Stan, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, indeed, our 45th annual Franchise 500 comes out a week after you're going to drop this episode. And I know that's something the whole franchise world pays attention to. And we we take that responsibility incredibly seriously. And I'll answer your question in just a second, but I actually wanted to share, as you were talking about the impact that Entrepreneur has had on franchising and how long it's been on your radar, I didn't know, to be honest with you, the exact relationship between franchising and Entrepreneur Magazine until I knew that the the legacy of Entrepreneur and Franchising was quite long. But until this, I'm just going to tell you, uh, maybe people don't know, but the CEO and current owner of Entrepreneur is a guy named Ryan Shea. P- Peter, uh, Peter just passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm so sorry to hear it. Sorry yeah, to hear P- yeah. Peter passed. Uh, thank you. I, I didn't work directly with him because I've worked with Ryan, his son, who took over after him. But Peter was a uh, was a franchisor. He and two partners had operated a franchise called Stained Glass Overlay, and uh, at the time they advertised in Entrepreneur, and it did quite well for them. It was one of their most impactful marketing strategies. And when Entrepreneur fell on hard times, it was facing bankruptcy. Peter and some partners came in and bought the brand and revitalized it. And so the the legacy of entrepreneur and franchising is that deep. He came in as a franchisor, understood the value that entrepreneur had to the franchise community. And we've been operating that way ever since. Uh, you know, every issue that we make of the magazine uh, is, is stuffed full of lists and articles and support for the franchise community and now everything else that we do. So it's it's really I'll be honest, like an incredible, it's like a human shock in a way when I step out of the role of just making a magazine and go out and meet folks, which I do, particularly in the franchising world, because I speak at a lot of franchisee conventions. So people come and have me uh, often open a convention with a keynote about how to embrace change, which is something that every franchisee and franchisor needs to think a lot about. And, and then afterwards, I meet these franchisees who will come up and they'll they'll talk to me about how they discovered the brand that they now are a franchisee for in a list that we published or in a story that we ran. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you're making a magazine or when you're doing anything, it's pretty easy to detach from the real world impact of the things that you're doing. You know, you make a magazine and you're worried about making sure that everything is fact-checked and copy-edited and looks good. And you, uh, you, know, you can't really see how it goes out into the world and it impacts people's lives. So I always love getting out and talking to people in the franchise community 
and seeing the other part of that equation, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty humbling. That doesn't sound too terribly different than the role and responsibilities of franchisors. Not getting caught up in the ivory tower syndrome, but getting out and about with franchisees and seeing the practical applications of the products and services that they franchise in work, in action, and being used and benefited by by consumers. That's absolutely true. Dialogue is the single most important resource that you have in business. If you're a franchisor, you better be talking really closely with your franchisees who are going to bring you some of your best ideas and also with your customers who are the people who are receiving all the ideas that you're putting out. And and I, I, I personally in my own business uh, have found that there is truly nothing more impactful than having one-on-one conversations with the people who consume your work, who you know pay for your products or services. Uh, it'll it'll tell you everything that you need to know, and it'll also humble you in the recognition that you don't necessarily know everything that you think you do, and sometimes what the customer wants isn't even exactly what you expect. But as soon as you start talking to them, you understand how to serve them so much better. So what year would it have been when Peter bought the magazine and it was fledgling? Oh, that's a good question. I actually have the answer to that. It may take me a second to find. We ran a, well, Ryan wrote a a kind of um, memorial to his dad in the November, December issue. And so it was in there. I'm looking at it now and I'm scanning really fast to see if I can find it. Well, let's see. He joined Stained Glass Overlay in 1983. And so I would assume that he came to Entrepreneur not that much later. So I, I would assume within a couple of years of that. So, you know, we're talking quite a while ago. So the Franchise 500 predated Peter's ownership of the publication. Yeah, because yeah, right? we just published the 45th uh, anniversary of it. So, yes, it did. Well, we're going to talk more about the upcoming 45th annual Franchise 500 a little bit later. But first, let's take a closer look at your journalistic career and what some of those milestones were that led to you landing an entrepreneur. Sure. Well, I have taken a zigzaggy kind of path through my career, as I think many people have. And what I've learned along the way is that the greatest opportunities are the ones that you may not have set out for. And in fact, you may not have even been aware of for some time. I remember talking a couple of years ago to Malcolm Gladwell, best-selling author and podcaster and so on. And he told me this, he used this line when I was talking, asking him about his work, which was really meaningful to me. I wrote it down. I stuck it on my wall. He wrote, he said that self-conceptions are powerfully limiting. What he was talking about was that he didn't want to have too narrow a definition of his own work and style because he feared that it would limit his ability to consider opportunities that fell outside of whatever narrow understanding he had of himself. Self-conceptions are powerfully limiting. And I thought a lot about that because I think that that also carved the path for my own career in, in recognizing that if you have too narrow a definition of yourself, you'll turn down all these other opportunities. I started as a community newspaper reporter in Gardner News, uh, the Gardner News in Gardner, Massachusetts, North Central Massachusetts, uh, you know, writing about nothing for nobody. You know, this is a tiny little paper in a, in a tiny little town. And I, uh, I eventually quit that job. I freelanced out of my bedroom in, in Holden, Massachusetts, another tiny little town. And I just wanted to get noticed by people who were working at high levels, people I thought I could learn from. I started to do some writing for the Washington Post and the Boston Globe and the Associated Press and then took another a newspaper job because it wasn't making much money as a freelancer and I was kind of lonely. I eventually made my way into magazines. I worked at Boston Magazine and then just um, moved to New York for Men's Health and then bounced around. I was at Fast Company, a business magazine 
magazine. I was at Maxim, another men's magazine. And I got to Entrepreneur. And I'll be honest with you, when I first got to Entrepreneur, I just saw it as another media project. It was just me coming in and helping a brand think bigger and create high quality content for people. But as I started to get to know entrepreneurs inside and outside the franchising world, I started to absorb the way that they think. I found that most people, most people think what I now think of as horizontally, which is how I used to think. It's how I had followed my career. A horizontal thinker is someone who does something, you know, puts it out into the world, cares for it, and then moves along and does something else, cares for it, puts it out into the world, moves along, and just kind of keeps repeating that cycle. And entrepreneurs do something different. Entrepreneurs are vertical thinkers, which is to say that the reason an entrepreneur does something is because it is the foundation upon which the next thing will be built. Entrepreneurs seem to identify new skills as being worth fostering because they will drive future opportunities and skills. They think about how new relationships can foster new opportunities, which then themselves can create new relationships and newer opportunities. It's a kind of incredible vertical thinking that I don't think comes naturally to people. But once I recognized it in the people that I was meeting with and writing about, I started to emulate it myself. And that changed everything for me. It changed the way that I think about my career, it changed the work that I do, it changed the projects that I do outside of Entrepreneur. I have my own little media company and some other projects. And, and I see it all the time in the franchise community too. People are building upon the things that they have learned. They are constantly looking to grow as people, as business people, as brands. And I think that spending some time recognizing that in yourself and trying to refine that kind of vertical thinking is one of the most powerful things you can do. In what capacity were you working when you first joined Entrepreneur? Oh, at first I was the executive editor. So that's the number two at the magazine. And I was uh, I was working underneath an, an editor-in-chief whose name was Amy Cosper. And then nine months after I arrived at Entrepreneur, Amy left. And uh, I made a play for the for the big job, and they gave it to me, which I am very grateful for. Well, that's a fantastic story. And how fortuitous that you were able to make that transition from horizontal to vertical thinking to expand your horizons and open up your mind to the possibilities of going for the job of top dog. That's right. And I think that that's something that's really important for everybody who's looking to advance in their career or an organization, which is you know, what, what insight do you have that can help those around you grow? What are you seeing with your fresh eyes that others who have been in the same place for a long time maybe aren't seeing? I think there's something really powerful about coming into an organization from outside of it and bringing new perspective, which of course happens in the franchising world all the time. You know, the franchisees are often the brand that they um, now operate is is, is sometimes only tangentially related to whatever their previous career was, which means that in some ways they can they can bring these really wonderful fresh perspectives and 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 franchisors can really benefit from from that and from their own backgrounds. I had recognized and and this was a big part of the pitch that I made to entrepreneur when I was talking to them about the editor in chief job. This would have been in 2016. I told them, look, what I've seen here in the in the time that I've been an entrepreneur is that entrepreneur has traditionally thought of itself as a magazine about business and a particular kind of business. And I'm not suggesting that we we move away from that, from a, you know a care for franchising and for small business. But what I'm seeing out in the world is that the word entrepreneur has become far larger than it ever has before. The word entrepreneur is at this point a cultural signifier. It is an identity. It is a mindset. People who follow a traditional entrepreneurial path, but also people who don't all call themselves entrepreneurs. And 
I think the larger opportunity here is in serving them all and finding the things that connect them all to each other. And to me, the answer to that is that the thing that everyone who calls themselves an entrepreneur has in common is the emotional experience of entrepreneurship. It is feeling lonely and crazy at times. It is problem solving your way through walls. It is sort of the, the constant, constant grind of it is something that everybody at every level, no matter what it is that you're doing, can relate to and can appreciate when somebody else has gone through that journey and can report back what helped them get through it. And so I, I said to them, I think that I think that we have an opportunity here to just think bigger, to be a, a wider part of people's lives, to talk not just about their business, but about their mindset, about their experience, about their struggles. And they agreed. And that was the guiding principle that I used when I came in and tried to execute the vision. So as someone who deals with small business and entrepreneurship, both within and outside of franchising, what do your fresh eyes see as some of the differentiators between the true entrepreneur and someone who acquires a franchise business? Well, I think that in many ways, the people in franchising don't get enough credit for being entrepreneurs. Uh, I, I've, I've even been asked point blank if I think that franchisees are entrepreneurs. And it's, it's interesting because obviously the way that franchising works is really unique. But I think the thing that drives people to get into franchising on the franchisee or the franchisor side are not dissimilar to what drives people who get into any other kind of entrepreneurship, which is a desire to build something for yourself, to be in charge of your own destiny, to create things that matter to others, to feel a real sense of ownership. And I think that that drives people through just sometimes really dark times. <laughs> and uh, and yet, because look, if, if, if you didn't have to do this. A lot of people wouldn't, right? If you know, uh, if you didn't have to go through feeling all that responsibility, uh, second guessing yourself a million times, uh, you wouldn't because it's hard. And and sure, a franchisee has the support of their franchisor and and has a playbook to run, but it's still up to them to make sure that this thing is going to be successful. And, and franchisors, of course, have the responsibility of growing this brand and, and making sure that they're leading uh, all their franchisees to success. So there's a lot of responsibility here, and and I don't think that anyone should ever take that for granted. I, I think that. The hardest thing for an entrepreneur and the thing that I think is most intriguing about entrepreneurship is how much change must be navigated and how success only comes through reinvention. And this is true for anybody who ever gets into business. The very first idea that you have is never going to be the one that actually fully works. It's a constant process of reinvention. And now, as I mentioned, I keynote a lot of franchisee conventions. I, you know, I always talk to the event organizers beforehand. Usually I'm on the phone with some executives executives from, from the franchise. And I say to them, well, what, is, uh, you know, what does change mean to the people who I'm going to be talking to? And they'll always tell me basically the same story. You know, There's been some changes in the marketplace. Customers have different needs. There are new technological changes, whatever the case is. And as a result, the franchise is proactively thinking about how to introduce new services uh, or products or how to change their marketing. Or there's just there's some kind of change that, that needs to be rolled out. But it's scary. It's scary for everybody. It was scary for the people at the franchise who had to think through how do we make sure that we're building in the right direction for you know to secure our 
future. And then it's scary for the franchisees who are going to learn about these changes and then have to adopt them into their own businesses. And it's the reason that they turned to me to, to, to speak on this subject. But I just find it absolutely fascinating to see organizations all go through this kind of process. But I really believe that growth and success is what you find on the other side of these big changes. There's just no way to run a business tomorrow the way that you ran it yesterday. Uh, it, it That only leads to failure. So I love watching people push themselves into discomfort. I, I think that it's really the only way to make sure that you're constantly evaluating whether or not you have what it takes to still be in business. One of the first franchisors I ever worked for had a six-word expression that kind of spells it all out for me. He said, change is certain, growth is optional. And he used the example of a tsunami to explain his thought. If you're standing on a beachfront and a tidal wave is coming your way, there's nothing you can do about that. You can't change it for any love of money. The only thing you can do is make a decision as to whether you stand your ground or run and find higher ground. <laughs> Your only decision is what to do about what's confronting you. As for true entrepreneurs versus franchisees, I think there is a lot in common. The what and the why, perhaps, more so than the how. Because the true entrepreneur can't let go of the clay, has to have his hands on everything. And in the franchise world, as a franchisee, that could become problematic mm. when you try to add a 14th or 15th flavor to a menu that's only supposed to have 12. But to the point that you make, they still have to iterate, and they still do put money and time at risk. They just mitigate that risk with the playbook of a responsible franchisor. Right. I mean, the the franchisee may not be creating the you know the, the next direction uh, and or, or service for the for the system as a whole, but the franchisee has to figure out how to connect with their local community. They have to figure out how to become the leader that their team needs. There's all sorts of changes that still have to take place and appreciate the value of those constant experiments. Because without that, uh, you're just going to run into constant trouble. I, I love that those six words that you shared. I so, Something that I always say when I speak is, we spend far too much time debating whether or not something should happen when it has already happened. And instead, we need to spend more time and energy figuring out what to do next. I could not have said that any better. We're talking today with Jason Pfeiffer, editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And when we come back, we're going to take a closer look at the 45th Annual Entrepreneur Franchise 500 dropping on January 16th, a publication that early in my franchise career was like an annual event that came real close to Christmas. <laughs> Jason will be back in just a minute to talk through it some more. You're listening to Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. In today's world, franchisors must apply systems that manage and support all aspects of franchise relationships, whether it's supporting prospective franchisees on their discovery journeys or getting units open and properly supported, whether it's managing legal, compliance, and royalties, or managing franchisee location and ownership information. I'm talking about FRM solutions and the power of one, one system, one tool that manages it all for multiple stakeholders across a single brand or across an entire enterprise for multi-branded portfolio companies. Yes, a single instance of FRM is all it takes across departments and across brands. One system providing a single source of truth that will push 
pull and integrate with data from other sources plus FRM offers dynamic and comprehensive dashboarding and robust reporting with customizations available across all departments and brands so replace inflexible take it or leave it platforms with a more personal approach and satisfy the needs of many with the power of one FRM solutions the only one that lets you have it your way visit frmsolutions.com to learn more or to order up a demo today. And we are back with Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief at Entrepreneur Magazine. You know, Jason, I kid you not when I talk about the impact that Entrepreneur's Franchise 500 had on me as a franchisor some 20 years ago when Wingzone was in its early stages of growth. The big gun in our space then was Buffalo Wild Wings, but they had a lot of territory that had already been sold out. And very few people had probably heard of Wingzone then when we were sitting with about 20 or 25 units, mostly in the Southeast. It took the ratings in the Entrepreneur Franchise 500 to heighten awareness of who we were and that we were a credible entity growing into a space that everybody wanted a piece of back then. So I can't talk enough about how important it was for me every year in January. I would check the magazine racket public supermarket day after day waiting for that magazine to drop. And it meant the world to me. Oh, well, that's that's awesome to hear. I, I love that. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, it's a circular thing that you're describing here because you wouldn't have been showing up in the ranking and therefore getting the recognition of the ranking unless you guys were doing something right to start with. But uh, but I love hearing that because, you know, this isn't this this may be a ranking, uh, but what I really hope it is, is a celebration, a celebration and recognition of great brands and the work that they do. So what kind of criteria goes into this, Jason? I know there are pages and pages of information, different numbers being crunched in different categories, but there's got to be some kind of a secret algorithm around all of that that brings it all together. How many moving parts are actually looked upon and go under the microscope? So we do have we do have something of a secret algorithm, uh, and a shout out to Tracy Stapp Harold who oversees the uh, the the data collection and analysis with a you know with a team who works tirelessly on this for about uh, about six months uh, because the data well actually more than that but the data comes in I think the, the cutoff for the deadline is uh, July and then we start crunching it and then it comes out at the end of the year and then we do it all over again so we take into consideration more than a hundred and fifty data. Points and that's everything from the things that you would expect in terms of growth and size and so on. But then also we're looking at amount of training that franchisees get, amount amount of um, support that they get. We're looking at brand strength. We're looking at social media following. We're taking into consideration the holistic strength of a brand. And the reason we're doing that is because we don't want this to just be a ranking of of brands by size. That that's not very interesting and and pretty predictable. And also frankly, you know, just like you, you said with the Buffalo Wild Wings example, a, a lot of the largest brands are not available to most franchisees. You know, the average franchisee who's never never owned a business before is, is, is not going to buy a Taco Bell or a McDonald's. They're not going to let them. So, we want to make sure that we're identifying the strongest brands on a variety of metrics, which is the reason why for example in the top 10 for many years running now, 
you know, the top 10 has traditionally always had some of the powerhouse brands of today. You know, you've got your UPS store, you've got your Taco Bell. They've been in the top 10 for years. And, and I'm not giving anything away about what's coming in, in this new one because we're talking before it comes out. But you know who else has been in the top 10 for a number of years now is Culver's, which is a Midwest burger franchise. It's considerably smaller than the other brands that are traditionally in the top 10. But Culver's has a strong and steady growth, almost no closures, which means they do a great job of vetting their franchisors. And I mean, their franchisees and providing support for them. And it's that kind of holistic strength that we want to make sure we're always recognizing. So then it's safe to say that any emerging franchisor in the audience should definitely not overlook the Entrepreneur 500 and think that they're too small to be included, just like we were back in 2003 at Wingzone, correct? That is absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have we have across the 500 some pretty small and new brands. And in fact, uh, there was a great uh, stat, let me see if I can find it fast enough, about the number of brands that are on the Franchise 500 in this year. I'll tell you that. Here it is. So so get this. In this year's ranking, 419 of the 500 companies on our list started franchising in 1980 or after. 419 of the 500 started franchising in 1980 or after. And, you know, we've got franchises that are quite new. And I think that that speaks to the uniqueness of franchising, where there can be real strength in numbers and in momentum. And there are brands that are on this list that have been around for for decades and decades, dating back, in fact, to the 1920s. But there is always room for new entrants who recognize a new opportunity and who step up to take it. Uh, uh, this year, for example, we, we always have to add and change categories uh, of brands because the the categories represent the, the new opportunities of now. And the beverage category, for example, this year grew substantially because there's been such a growth in boba tea franchises. The the sports category has grown because there's been a big growth in pickleball franchises. So there's a lot of opportunity here to build a brand that's uh, that's strong and growing, even if it's small, and be recognized for it. One of the most significant changes in the franchise business model post-COVID has been the consolidation and collection of portfolios of brands, in many cases putting an umbrella up over several brands in similar categories, home services, childhood enrichment, etc. Has the movement toward these consolidations and away from founder-owned or operated brands done anything to alter your algorithm in terms of cultural changes that may be impacted as the result? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Well, we, we certainly see a lot of that. That, obviously. And we see the good and the bad of that. Sometimes there are roll-ups that may be a bad match and we, you know, you can see brands suffer as a result, but then you can also see brands uh, really thrive as a result. We do something every year that we call the big movers. Uh, this is looking at the brands that have jumped significantly in the rankings from last year to this year. Sometimes they weren't even on last year's ranking and now they're in the two or three hundred and sometimes they just moved up a couple hundred spots. And we want to know, well, what happened within the last year over there that led to the kind of growth and turnaround that, that was reflected in the ranking. And sometimes what we learn is interesting new marketing strategy, interesting new leadership. Sometimes what we learn is what you just described, uh, is that the brand was acquired, sometimes by private equity, sometimes by one of these uh, you know kind of larger service roll-up brands. And they 
spent a year or two trying to fix the problems, you know, shedding franchisees who were not properly operating the business and then finding new partners to work with. And then once things started clicking, the brand started growing tremendously. I see it as something that needs to be taken on an individual franchise by franchise basis. We don't weigh by itself whether or not a brand had been acquired. That doesn't really matter. But certainly if a brand was acquired and invested in significantly, and that shows up in the way that they support their franchisees, in the year-over-year growth of units, in the way in which they market the brand, then that's something that is definitely going to show up in the rankings. I think culture is a big part of that equation because if it's a founder-driven brand and private equity comes in and removes the founder, culture will certainly suffer. Or if it becomes, now we've got a professional management team and the capital to invest, founder stays in, now we've got the ability to hit the gas even harder and speed up the pace of growth, then it could be a really good thing. So to your point, it could go either way. I just wondered how you account for that in some of the things that you analyze. Yeah, and we've run stories over the years that have told both sides of what you just described. But you know, sometimes a founder has reached the point in which they are really no longer the best operator, the day-to-day operator of that business. They are outmatched by the size and needs of the organization. I, I actually really love hearing from entrepreneurs, leaders, founders who recognize that in themselves. It all brings me back to another great author, Stephen Covey, and one of his seven habits of highly effective people was to begin with the end in mind. Know what you're getting into before you get into it, and then your exit strategy becomes nothing but common sense. Otherwise, you become victim of what people like me have come to call Founder's Syndrome. When you've reached that point in time where it's time to go and replace yourself with professional management and services, and everybody in the room knows that, but you. And that's when you become a victim of the Peter Principle. I think if I remember it correctly, the Peter Principle states that man strives to reach his own level of incompetency. Hardly the pinnacle that one would want to work so hard to achieve. (laughs) Jason, given that we're recording this about a week in advance of the 2024 Entrepreneur Franchise 500 dropping, I know I can't ask you anything about any of the particulars in category or brand rankings, but what about patterns? Were there any surprises? Did you see any anomalies that caught you by surprise? I love... Also seeing the new categories, I had mentioned a couple to you already in terms of the way in which we have to start splicing things up, you know, beverages and sports. And there, there were a number of other ones in there too. The brands that the brands that jump in the rankings are also fascinating. You'll see a bunch of that in the uh, in the big movers piece that we have. And oh, you know, you know what else? I, something that's really interesting. I'm just looking back uh, here at some of the new uh, subcategories that we created. So one of the new subcategories is mental health services which I think is really fascinating. You know, we had covered earlier in the year, uh, earlier last year, that is one of those brands, which is called Ellie Mental Health. And they're growing at a, a really impressive clip. And I think it speaks to the way in which dialogue of and awareness of and uh, focus on the importance of mental health has been something that's that's become far more embraced within, I, I don't know, the last decade or so. That even something like that, which is not a traditional franchise category, 
can still become a franchise opportunity. We're already seeing enough brands move into that space that we had to create a subcategory for it. And I, I would expect that that subcategory will only grow and that more like it will come. Very interesting. Jason, is there anything that I haven't asked you today that you wished I did? Oh boy, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I'll tell you that, well, as you, you said, this comes out on January 16th. It'll be available on entrepreneur.com. And of course the magazine, which hits newsstands and mailboxes right around that time. And uh, we'll be producing a whole ton of content around it that you can find on, uh, on Entrepreneur. And, and I have a podcast myself, uh, which is called Problem Solvers, where I talk to entrepreneurs of all kinds inside and outside of franchising. Well, it's been a real treat getting to talk with you today, Jason, and I hope it's the first of many more conversations to come. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. It's a total pleasure. Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief at Entrepreneur Media. Oh, thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. Well, that does it for today. Next week, franchise financing icon Ron Feldman joins to talk about a compelling option available to qualified franchisors that could preclude the need to ever invite private equity or be undervalued. Until next week at noon Eastern, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.